make their way up there, and I would like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's indestructible word to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 12 today. So Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35, is where we will be in God's word. We will be uh, cruising through the end of Mark's gospel over next, roughly the next seven weeks uh, as we finish up our follow series. We've been journeying with Jesus this year, uh, learning what it means to follow him. Uh, and as you turn there, I also want to welcome all of our guests. So if you are new to Redemption Hill, if you're a first-time guest joining us here today at Mefford High School or online, we are so grateful that you've joined us. Uh, let's just thank all of our new guests uh, for joining us today and uh, for, uh, for spending time with us. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but I just so, so encouraged by last Sunday in our 10th anniversary celebration. Raise your hand if you had a great time celebrating Redemption Hill Church 10 years. I see hands all over the place. I can see you in your living room raising your hand if you were with us or participating online. I mean, it was just such a great time of worship. Uh, we were able to remember all that God has done. We heard from our sending church pastor, and he said things that are better coming from him than coming from me, but that how just how special it is that a new church makes it 10 years. Only 20% of churches, new churches make it that far. And Pastor Dwayne even said how that Redemption Hill has become an example, a model for other new churches in our network. And so we have so much to be thankful for, so much to, to celebrate as a church family. I love the, the celebration. Can we give it up for Pastor Reddy and everyone who contributed to the amazing celebration outdoors? I mean, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I am the kind of person that lives with high expectations, and I have high expectations. Today I have high expectations that God's going to move in your life and my life. But um, my expectations were exceeded in every way last week, and especially when it came to the food. I mean, who knew that there was such thing as pumpkin gnocchi and pumpkin ravioli? I mean, that was some next-level food out there prepared by our team of servants of Redemption Hill Church. So, so thankful for that. So thankful for the way you honored us as your pastors. I mean, it would have been enough just to say we love you, thank you, uh, but I already got my new iPad Pro. In fact, uh, this is not it. I am retiring the iPad 2 today, all right? Uh, I don't have my iPad Pro because my wife won't let me use it without a case, all right? So it's at home, uh, and I can't wait to get that Celtics jersey. I'm going to be wearing that Celtics jersey. The first, when I get it, I'm going to come in on Sunday morning and just show you how good it looks, okay? So uh, just so many reasons to thank God. Uh, but most of all, I want to once again say thank you. Thank you. Thank every single one of you because you have made the journey of Redemption Hill what it is today. And so many that have come and been a part of this church before you. And so we have, we have so much to celebrate. But today as we uh, jump into Mark's gospel, I want us to begin thinking about the next 10 years. Not, we, we reflected so much on all the great things that God has done, how faithful he has been in the past 10 years, but today we're going to start thinking about the next 10 years, and it's probably not what you think. 
Because today, listen, today we are not going to focus on vision. I mean, we love vision at Redemption. We love to, to, to look ahead and pray and to envision what God wants to do in the life of our church. And we are going to talk about that in the coming days. We're going to share some vision for the next 10 years with our members at our members meeting on November 14th. And then we're going to share it with everyone on Vision Sundays, January 9th, 2022. So we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about strategy. But we're not going to talk about that today. Because there's something we need to understand about God and his heart. That the heart of God is more concerned, listen, more concerned with who we are and how we do what we do more than what we do. See, what we do is important, and God cares about what we do. He loves activity and serving and vision and strategy because, yes, there is 6 million people in our city who need a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's not just about what we do to take the gospel to them. And how we function as a church that is seeking to follow Jesus in every possible way. But it is about our hearts, who we are before him. We see this from cover to cover in the, in the pages of scripture. Uh, we, we see this in the very first chapter when it says that we are made in the image of God. In a very simple way to explain that. You might want to remember this. You might want to write this down in your RIC journal that we gave you last week, okay? Being made in his image means that he made us, our hearts, to reflect his heart. That's why we're here. Being made in God's image means we are made to reflect him, that he wants us, our hearts, to know and reflect his heart. And so as we jump into Mark 12, verses 35 through 44, I want to, to pose to you that, that this... As we move forward together, as we journey forward together, nothing is more important than the posture of our hearts. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more important as we journey than the posture of our hearts. Because listen, listen, the world will tell you and we in the church get it twisted so often that it's about what we do and, and, and how great things are, are and the results and all these things. And yes, we want to see fruit. We want to see results. We want to see God move. We just sang about it. Do it again, God, what you've done. Do it again. The salvations, the baptisms, the, the people being set free from everything that holds them back. God, we want to see it again and again. Again, but God, above all that we do for you, God, we want to honor you in the posture of our hearts with who we are before you. And what we're going to find here in Mark chapter 12 are three very short stories, short episodes from the life of Jesus that help us see the kind of posture of our hearts that God is interested in. Let's read these verses together. You can Follow along as I read them for us. This is what Mark writes. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself 
in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he David's son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many people putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. Let's ask God to press these words into our hearts this morning. Father, we ask, we ask that these would be more than words on a page, but God, we would acknowledge and recognize that these are words from your heart to our hearts. And so God, over the next 30-something minutes, God, let us not just simply receive words that we might think contain a little wisdom for Monday through Saturday or, you know, you know something that, that someone else needs to hear, God, but help us to receive this message as directly from your heart to our hearts. That we would live the truths that Jesus is presenting to us. For your name's sake, we pray through Christ. Amen. I want to take each one of these episodes and give you an attitude or posture of our hearts that we should reflect as we follow Jesus today, tomorrow, and yes, over the next 10 years of Redemption Hill Church. The first posture is simply this. We want to live with a heart that says and desires Jesus above all. Jesus above all. Jesus, you are above everything. Jesus, you are the most important reality of my life. Jesus, you are the one I'm living for. Jesus, you are the first thought when I wake up. Jesus, you are the, you are the, the, the priority of my day. Yes, Jesus, I have work and family and kids and all of these things, but I don't sacrifice my focus, time, or devotion for you in light of all these other things. Jesus, you are 
above it all. And we see this in Jesus' words beginning in verse 35. What we need to understand is this. Mark has shown us how the religious leaders have kept trying to incriminate Jesus with question after question after question. They've questioned his authority. They've questioned his authority. view on paying Roman taxes. They've questioned what happens in the resurrection. And every time Jesus has answered them in such a way that confounds their minds, shocks the crowds, and gives them the truth of God right where they are. But now, in verse 35, Jesus turns the tables and he asks them a question. He, he says in verse 35, he asked them this question. He says, how can the scribes, the scribes were those, the, the keepers of the law, the writers of the law, the ones who knew the law of God, the very word of God, better than anyone in society. And so he says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, we need to pause right here and, and understand that Jews expected the Christ to be a descendant of David. They expected that God's coming Messiah, God's coming deliverer, would in fact be a descendant of David. And so we should ask ourselves, Jesus, why are you asking them a question that everyone knows the answer to? I mean, everyone knew that God, through the prophet, Prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 7 had promised David with these words, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I, God, will raise up your offering after you who shall come from your body. One of your descendants, David. And about him, this is what I'm going to do. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Everyone knew the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. And this was not a one-off in the Old Testament. It wasn't like you need to know this chapter so that you know that the Messiah will be a descendant of David. No, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, it says that he will sit on David's throne and reign forever, verse 7. In Isaiah 11, verse 1, it says that the Messiah will be coming as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse? David's father. He would be a descendant of David. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says that the Messiah would be a righteous branch from David. And then, oh yeah, Ezekiel, the next prophet, in in chapter 37, verse 24, it says that the Messiah would be a Davidic king who will be one shepherd over God's people. Everyone knew the Messiah would be a descendant of David. So Jesus, why are you asking them why the scribes say that the, the, the Christ will be a son of David? This is why. Jesus wants the people to see that, yes, the Messiah will be a son of David, but he will be much more than the son of David. And he spells this out by arguing from the Old Testament, which they all believe, from Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, this is a very, very important psalm. In fact, it is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, some 33 times quoted or alluded to. 
We, we see it all over the place. And if we were to go back there, we would, if we were to turn back to the Old Testament, Psalm 110, there are a couple of things you should note. Number one, there is a superscript above the psalm that says a psalm of David. So no one questioned whether or not David penned the words of this song or psalm. And so David begins his psalm, and he says, the Lord. Now, if we were to go back to the Old Testament, most translations help us out because the, word, the words, the Lord, the, the word Lord will be in all caps, L-O-R-D, which is referring to the divine name Yahweh. In other words, God, my God, said to my Lord, sit at my, my feet until I make your enemies a footstool. So what, what, what Jesus is pointing out here is that David says, God says to my Lord, that his Lord is the coming Messiah, the coming King, the coming Deliverer. And he is the one that is going to usher in God's peace, God's presence. And this is the question that Jesus is driving them to answer. Have you considered that the Messiah, David's son, is, are you ready, is also David's Lord? How can this be? And he finishes his argument in verse 37 when he says to them, David himself, himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? I hope you see what Jesus is arguing. He is saying, look, the Messiah is not just David's son. The Messiah is David's Lord. He is David's God. He is arguing now what Mark has been presenting all along in his gospel from the very first verse, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am not just the descendant of David that is setting up an earthly kingdom. I am the descendant of David who is also the Messiah, who is also the Son of God. As Ben Witherington, one New Testament scholar, points out, he says it well. He says, it is best to say that Jesus is repudi repudiating the adequacy, not the accuracy of assessing the Messiah by means of his Davidic descent. In other words, yes, it's accurate that the Messiah is David's son, but he is more than David's son. That, that is not an, an adequate understanding of the Messiah, but to get an adequate understanding, we need to understand that the Messiah is also the very son of God. And then we find out what's true of this Messiah, Son of God, as Jesus quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, the Messiah would be invited by God himself to sit at his right hand. The king's right hand was the highest place of honor. The king's right hand was the highest place of power and glory. The king's, there was a throne next to a throne, and there was only going to be one person who would sit in that throne. His name is King Jesus. Can I get an amen today? I mean, if we were at Maverick City on Friday night, people would be jumping up and down at this point. Oh, uh, hang on, what's that? Dun, 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 d
but I'm forgetting the lyrics, so you're, you're blessed today. Um, I mean, right, just this is who Jesus is. He's the king. And God says, not only will he sit at my right hand, but he will sit at my right hand and every single one of his enemies will be put under his feet. That, that means he has complete victory. Every enemy of God, every enemy of Jesus Christ will suffer a clear and decisive defeat because Jesus Christ reigns above it all. He reigns in victory. This is such good news. I don't know about you, but I need a God who's in charge. I need a God who doesn't lose. I need a God who is a man of his word. That's the song I was going to sing. That when he says something, he will do it. He makes a promise, he will fulfill it. When he says in the end there will be no more pain, someone needs to hear this day, no more pain, no more suffering, only life and life forever in my presence. This is who our God is. In the New Testament writers, whether their joy looked like my joy, we talked about different expressions of joy last week with Jesus being joyful in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I don't know if their joy looked like my joy, probably not. Some, yes, others, no. But, but the New Testament writers were super pumped up about this. Peter, who probably matched a little more of my personality, I'm just supposing, okay? In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when he's telling all the nations about Jesus being raised from the dead, he quotes what? Psalm 110 verse 1. The writer of Hebrews, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's quoting in verse 13, Psalm 10, 110 verse 1. And then we see an allusion to this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. It says this about the great might that God is working in us who believe. It says this great might is in you, by the way. This is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 1. This great might is in you that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put, here it is, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is what I'm just talking about today as Redemption Hill Church, one of your pastors. Listen, we as a church, we do not move forward wondering if we have the victory. Jesus reigns above it all. You don't have to go into your workplace all concerned if things are going to work out in the end all worried about if God's going to give you the strength that you need in the moment to do your job and to represent Jesus. Listen, we have the victory because Jesus reigns above it all. I think I want to stop asking my daughter to pray for strength for me because I've been sick this way. Like Kess said, if you'll pray for some strength for me, I could really use it today. Um, I'm going to ask somebody else who has a little less power in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> There's one other thing I want you to see here. Jesus, at the beginning of verse 36, says, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared. So, so this is Jesus' view of the Bible. According to Jesus, who wrote the Bible? Did David write it? 
Yes. But did God the Holy Spirit write it? Yes. You see, Jesus believed what what the church has believed through the, the ages is that the Bible is a divine human book. It was written by human beings, but those human beings were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and those human beings wrote down the very words, the the exact words that God wanted them to write. This is why I believe the Bible. This is why I believe I can trust the Bible, because God wrote the book. And that's not an exaggeration at all to say it. And so the posture of our hearts, number one, should be that we desire Jesus above all. Jesus above above all. But then number two, listen, Jesus would say, you need to seek to live with a humble sincerity. A humble sincerity. In verses 38 through 40, Jesus says, beware of these scribes, beware of these religious leaders Because they look like they've got it all together, but in reality, they are not living with sincerity of heart. And he points this out. Actually, we get a a sense of Mark's style because, again, these are human authors and they all have different personalities and approaches in writing. Mark says in three verses what Matthew says in 39 Okay, in Matthew 23, if you go back to Matthew 23, you get the full account, Jesus, seven woes to these religious leaders. But Mark just takes three verses. And he says, number one, you need to watch out. You need to beware of their pride. As my mentor, Danny Aiken, would say, these, these leaders, they like to put on a show. They like to put on a facade. It says, he says, in verse 38, he says, number one, beware because they like to walk around in long robes. These robes would have been like those worn for, for festival or cer- ceremonial occasions. They had a lot of flash. They, were, they liked to be seen from distances. They, they wanted everyone to know uh, who they were and how important they were. And so they wore these long, flashy robes so that when people saw them coming and walking down the street, oh, there's Mr. Scrub. He's, man, we want to be like him. Now, just as a side note, I want to say two things. Number one, I'm thankful I belong to a church tradition where pastors dress like everyone else. All right, now, now listen, I'm not hating on other denominations and, you know, the priestly garb of, of other where they got to wear the long robes on Sunday or wherever, but I don't even like bathrobes, okay? Like, no, no hate to, to the men in the church who, you know, rock the bathrobes. That's just not my style, okay? So I'm thankful that, that Jesus is cool with me just dressing like I'm dressing today. But, but then number two, more importantly, yes, more importantly, we get a sense of actually, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we actually get a sense of maybe what Jesus looked like on the everyday regular. We, we get an idea of how Jesus was dressing because Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm not coming in with the long robes. I'm not trying to, you know, be the best-looking guy in, in, in Israel. Jesus was probably shopping at Primark or Kohl's or something like that. He wasn't coming out of the Prue with the Gucci bags trying to get that, you know, nice drip or whatever. Okay, he's just a regular guy, an ordinary human being with simple simplicity about his life. And he says, you need to watch out for those that 
want to make a show and dress in a certain way to grab your attention. And then, and then the next description, he says this, they like greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, Mr. Scribe, so good to see you. Oh, there goes Mr. Scribe. Oh, he knows the Bible. He knows the Bible so well. He's got about half of it memorized. He's so great. He's so important. And then he goes on and he says that, that these scribes, they, they not only like greetings in the marketplace, but they like to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the feast. They wanted the most important places because they wanted to be seen as most important. And Jesus says, notice that he uses the word, he says they like to do this. They craved notoriety. They craved attention. They craved fame. And Jesus says, that's, that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about humility and putting others before yourself. It's not about putting yourself out there so that you can get all the attention. Because guess what? In the end, and right now, anyway, God gets all the attention. So he says, watch out for their pride. And then he says, and then he says number two, he says, watch out for their unjust living. It gets all the more serious in verse 40. He says that these scribes, they devour widows' houses. Well, when they appear to be the most moral people who can quote the Bible and show up to the synagogue on Saturday, that's AKA church on Sunday. And they, you know, they can quote the scriptures to you and they know how to pray. They know the lyrics to do it again. They can sing the worship songs. Who knew this? Who knew that God, God definitely cares about us showing up on Sunday? I mean, it tells us in the Bible, don't neglect meeting together, coming together. We read the book of Acts, the early church. They were getting together week. They were spending time day after day. Listen, we need to come together. But who knows that God is just as concerned. In fact, you might say he is more concerned with who we are on Tuesday and Friday night and Saturday than he is with who we are on Sunday. Because the test of our hearts is whether we will live what we say we believe the rest of the week. These scribes didn't. They used their influence to take advantage of the most vulnerable group of society. They went into widows' homes and they took advantage of their hospitality. Perhaps they defrauded them by overcharging them for legal advice. Mark doesn't tell us what's going on here. We just know that they were using their position of power to exploit the vulnerable in their society. And God hates that. God absolutely hates it. God also hates false devotion. False religiosity he says that these scribes, they also, for a pretense, for a show, to make it appear one thing when in reality it's not. 
for a pretense, they make long prayers. Everyone thinks they're the most devoted to God because they can pile up the word count when they pray. God says, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed at all. He says, they will receive the greater condemnation. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, they teach the law, but they don't keep the law, and therefore I will hold them even more accountable because not only do they know it, but they teach others how they should live, and yet they're, in their hypocrisy, they don't do it themselves. They will receive the greater condemnation. And so from these words, listen, from these words, we hear an implicit call to a life of humble sincerity. A life that puts God first and everyone else second and ourselves third. A, 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 a humble heart that doesn't seek to take advantage of the vulnerable, but seeks to serve everyone and especially the vulnerable and the marginalized. I mean, God is looking for humble hearts for the people that will show up in the nursing homes, that will show up to the Mephra Senior Center sometime just to, just to meet some people and love them and care for them. He wants to see who is not praying on Sunday morning, but he wants to see who's just praying when no one sees. This is what God is interested in. He's looking for humble sincerity. He's looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. And then finally, the third posture of our heart that we see from these stories, not just Jesus above all, not just humble sincerity, but also sacrificial love. We see this in verses 41 through 44. Let me read these words for us one more time. I love this. It says, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury, and watch the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes, I'm not the greatest at this because I'm not necessarily a visual learner, okay? But, but sometimes I just like to pause, stop, and just with a sanctified imagination. What I mean by that is a mind that is set apart to God that's not coming up with my own dreams of what, you know, God might be doing that in any way would contradict what the Bible actually says, but just kind of imagine what was going on there in the temple that day. And I can see, I can see Jesus just take a seat. Maybe he's, you know, sitting back against the wall. Maybe he, he brings his elbows over his knees, and he's just watching. He's watching person after person come in to the treasury area and drop their 
big coins into the treasury box. Clink, 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 clink. I mean, everyone in the, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, they're loving that. You know, they hear that. Clink, 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 clink. And then someone else, big, you know, rich, rich person rolls up in there with their money bags and a clink, clink, clink. And it just, I mean, people are loving it. People are excited. Oh, man, we're going to be able to keep the temple looking good. People are going to be, you know, doing their thing here in the temple thanks to all of these amazing givers. And then in comes a simple but poor widow. And she takes out two lepta, two, the ESV says, two small copper coins. They would have been worth one-sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was a day's wage. In other words, this was an amount that maybe, just maybe, she could buy a small meal on. And she, clink, drops it in the box. As I think about the story, I can hear the crowd around as they see her drop her little tiny minuscule offering into the box. I can imagine some of them are joking about it. Oh, look at what she put in, man. The temple's going to be running for the next five years thanks to this lady. Or maybe some chastised her. How, how, how silly of her to take all that she has and put it into the box. Now she doesn't even have money to buy a meal today. What is she thinking? But not Jesus. Jesus says in verse 43, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more. She put in more. And how could he say that? Verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put everything she had to live on, all that she had. This poor widow gave more because she gave more, not in the eyes of human beings, but in the eyes of God. Sometimes the smallest gift is the greatest gift. Jesus holds up this widow as the preeminent example of discipleship. Because as we've been reading through the gospel of Mark, he's saying, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You need to be willing to give it all, risk it all, give everything you have to following me. And this is exactly what we see in the picture of this poor widow who gives everything she has as an act of love and devotion to her God. And this is what God invites us into as well. It doesn't matter the, the number of this, you know, sitting on your bank account, if there's even a bank account. God's looking at our heart. He's looking at, yes, listen, we're so thankful as pastors. We're having really, truly, we'll report it out. We're having a great year financially as a church. 
And we can thank God for that. And we thank you for, for your generous giving and your, your regular, proportional, even sometimes sacrificial giving. Less, that, is to be, that is to be thanked and, and, and recognized. But, but God is most important with the posture of our hearts when we give, that we are giving out of a heart of love for him. He cares when we not just give our money, but when we give our time, when we give of our serving, our, our talents, and our efforts to him. He sees it all, and he wants all of us, all of our hearts as we serve him. He says, this is what it means to follow me. And so I hope that you see in this cumulative picture that, that we see in these three episodes, listen, God is calling us to be a people that treasure him above everything, that, that operate with a humble sincerity. There's, there's not a show. We can keep it real, okay? We, yes, we mess up. Yes, we have flaws. No, we're not perfect, but we're going to be authentic, and we're going to live out a faith that is true so that the people we are on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are the same people we are in church from Sunday 10.30 to whatever time we let you out of here every Sunday. And because we have hearts that are so transformed and changed by God's grace, that we will give out of a sacrificial love Whatever it is, however it is that Jesus is calling us. In all of this, we see not just the hearts that God wants us to have, we see the heart of Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Humility is written all over these verses, and the humility hits a climax in verse 9. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, Jesus above all, has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Make no mistake, listen, make no mistake here today on, yeah, happy Halloween, who cares? I'm sorry if you love it, go trick or treat. I didn't wear a costume today. I'm not, I'm not, no problem, wear your costumes, okay, it's great, wonderful, whatever. But, but, but listen, make no mistake on October 31st, 2021. God is calling every single one of us through the words of these pages. He is saying, treasure Jesus above everything. And don't live your life with a show, 
You could fool everyone, but listen, you'll never fool God himself. If who you are through the week is not who you appear to be on Sunday, then I am pleading with you, make some changes. Make some changes. Listen, life is too short. What you're living for, the the applause of the people around you and, and the people that you're trying to impress at work or whatever, the people that you hang out on Friday, Saturday night, I don't know what's going on. Probably the stuff that you're ashamed to post on Instagram. Listen, God sees it all, and he's calling you to something better. He is calling you to Jesus Christ to live with a sacrificial love that gives it all, no matter if we're talking about money or time or service or whatever it is. We are called to the Christ life. And the Christ life is the best life. We just have to have the courage and the strength by God's grace to step out and live in it every single day. So that's what I want to do. I want to pray that God would give us the strength. And I want to give you a moment as the music team comes up and begins to to lead us in a time of of prayer and praise. Listen, I don't know what word resonated with you the most this morning, but I know the Holy Spirit of God is real. The same Spirit who inspired these words is speaking to our hearts today. So whatever it is, listen, whatever it is, just in the privacy of your own heart and mind, you can inaudibly voice a prayer to God that says, God, change me. God, help me treasure Jesus above all. God, help me to live with a humble sincerity where I dismiss the show and I live like I, I live on Sunday every day of the week. Because, God, you are that good. You are worth it all. And so, Father, I just pray for my friends now. God, I pray that as you have spoken to them, God, that they wouldn't just hear a message on Sunday and move out not changed by your grace and what you want to do in these moments that will, that will change us this afternoon and change us by your power. The great might that you worked when you raised Jesus from the dead is alive now in every believer to give us the power to represent you with a humble sincerity and a sacrificial love wherever we go, whatever we're doing. And so God, let us us drop our two lepta in the treasury box. (laughs) Let Let us give it all to you. Because we remember the words of Jesus when he said, whoever has given up anything for my namesake, houses, homes, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, whoever gave anything will not fail to be given much more in this life and the life to come. Thank you, Jesus, that you have invited us to the more. You've invited us to forsake the things that we thought were so valuable to find a true treasure, the treasure of you. So God, we love you. We celebrate you today. God, we thank you that you call us out. You call us out from mediocre lives. God, you call us out from the lukewarmness that Revelation 2 talks about. God, you call us out to a life that is full of life because of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.